There's only one way to heaven, and that is through Christ. But there are many, many ways to burn in hell for all eternity. Let me read to you just a list of sins that apply to the wicked who shall perish. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Well, here we are again, letting the Bible speak from the pulpit of our Free Presbyterian Church. This is Pastor Ian Golliher, and I count it a privilege and an honor to have this opportunity to minister to you the Lord's Word. And we are looking today again at the book of Proverbs and these wily words of wisdom. They are leading us today in Proverbs 16 to the ways of death. And I hope that this will stir you to consider your need of the Savior. First of all, we're going to go to our Bible study notes to Genesis chapter 4. And these are our study notes that we put out each week. Uh, they are for our adult Sunday school class. We make them available on our website for any, for personal study, group study, or as here in our church Sunday school hour. The plan is a summary of the passage. We have a key text, key verse, that summarizes the essence of the chapter. And then we have some lessons or observations from the chapter, followed by application. How does this apply to me? And then things to do in light of this study. So, I would invite you to send for this, and you can. So this is Pastor Ian Golliher thanking you for joining with us. We're turning now then to these notes on Genesis chapter 4. Firstly, there is evidence that Adam and Eve had faith in the promised Redeemer, and he was spoken of in Genesis 3.15, which referred to the seed of the woman. Also, God had clothed their nakedness with animal skins, while his, this clothing, which required the death of an animal on their behalf, was suggestive of their redemption. Beyond that, there is good evidence of their faith in the Lord as Savior in Eve's spirit of thanksgiving to the Lord at the birth of Cain. She gave the Lord the honor for the birth of their son as God's gift and she took delight in that it was a male child. These details show her trust in the Lord, and Eve may have considered that Cain would be the deliverer of their souls. The naming of their second child, Abel, which means vanity, drives home the point that Eve was impacted by the vanity of this fallen world and had put her hope in the promised Savior. Now, have you put your trust in the Lord Jesus? 
He is the seed of the woman. He is the one who came forth in the fullness of time, born of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. One other pointer here, and that is the enmity between Cain and Abel is a display of the enmity between the seed of the woman with the promised Christ and the seed of Satan. Cain's anger was stirred up after God accepted Abel's offering of a blood sacrifice, while his offering from the labor of his own hands was rejected. The Lord's direct question to Cain, Why art thou wroth? And that revealed the inner heart of the inner state of his heart. He also rejected God's offer of acceptance for doing God's will. He spurned the warning that rejection of the only way of blessing through blood atonement would lead to greater depths of sin. See God's statement in verse 7. If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. O Cain, I trust that today that you will do well and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. That's the hope of the message of the gospel. Stay tuned now as we go to the book of Proverbs on death. Well, I think it was last week that I said uh, that there was a verse that needed some preaching. And it's back in chapter 14 and verse 12, where it says that there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so I read over that passage, uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 14, but I wasn't sure. Maybe that's not the proverb that we should be looking at. And so I read on into chapter 15 and into chapter 16, and lo and behold, if you look at verse 25 in Proverbs 16, you've got the exact same proverb repeated again. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so, I couldn't get away from it. This verse certainly needs some preaching. It is in the book twice, and somehow we have it here for our learning. Now, this text tells us that every one of us is on a journey. There is a way that seemeth right unto man. Every one of us is on a journey. And for us, life is a straight line. There's a starting point, the day of our birth. There is the little period that we have on earth, our lifetime here. And then there is the great eternity beyond the grave. And we will never repeat this scenario. We will never be born again in the flesh. We will never live in this life again. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. Someone illustrated that man's life is like a rope, and there is the beginning of the rope, and then there is a small little tiny section, just a few inches, that represent our lives here on earth. 
And then you have this long looping rope that seems to go on and on and on, and that represents eternity. And we are on this journey, and we will never redo the decisions or the course that we take in this journey. Each decision in life has its consequences. We are responsible creatures to our Creator for every action, every deed, and indeed we are told every idle word, because we live under God's moral government in this world. God has not just wound up this world like a clock and just let it go. God is in control, and He is paying attention. He takes note of everything that we do. Now, you can't read the book of Proverbs and not discover that there is good and evil in the world. There is right and wrong. One act or action brings God's pleasure, and another brings His wrath. And in many of these Proverbs, you have contrasted the wicked and the righteous. And these Proverbs highlight the difference, the distinction, between the wicked person and the righteous person. That means that every day we live in this journey, we are sowing seeds. Now, when you take seeds into your hand, they look very innocent. In fact, you would say there's not very much to them. And you may hold them and let them fall down into the bag again, and they're just seeds. But when those seeds are scattered out into the field, they take over. And the Bible tells us that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And the wicked sow their seeds every day, and their harvest day is coming. And life is like the field with the wheat and the tares. And if we are sowing the good, there will be a harvest gathering into the barn. There will be rewards for the righteous. But for the wicked, like the tares, there's going to be a judgment day and a gathering into bundles to be burned. And of course, that is a picture of hell. Now, note that our text states that there are many ways to hell. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways, plural, of death. There's only one way to heaven, and that is through Christ. But there are many, many ways to burn in hell for all eternity. Let me read to you just a list of sins that apply to the wicked who shall perish. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, 
nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, link that to our text, Proverbs 16.25, and recognize the deception. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And the deceptive thing is, there are many people in this world, they are traveling through, they are sowing their seeds, and they think that they are in the right, and they are going to be greatly, greatly disappointed and wakened up. And I started to think about the parable of the ten virgins, five who were ready and five who were not, the five foolish. And at the end of that parable, the Lord said, Watch ye therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. And many will be caught by surprise, and the way that seemeth right will be the way of destruction. So tonight, this is a warning sermon. It is a warning about the ways that lead to death. And what I've done, and I want to preach tonight, is to scan the Christian message and warn of the ways that lead to death. So I'm going to take this text topically. I'm not going to examine each and every word. I'm going to take the principle that is here, the warning note that there are a number of ways that lead to destruction. Firstly, there is the way without the Bible. It leads to death. How do people make decisions when they have no Bible? For you and me, when we have a major decision to make, we get our Bible out. We want to know the mind of God. But without the Bible, men assume that they know God. There are no real atheists in the world. I know there are people who say they are, and there are people who think they are, and there are people who come to death and awaken up to the reality, well, maybe I wasn't right all along. But everyone, everyone born into this world make up the God of their own imagination. And when they refer to God, they caricature him, they depict him in their own imagination what they think God ought to be, not the God that he really is. Now, everyone has, as I say, their own idea of what God should be like. John Calvin said that man's heart is a veritable factory of idols, and men are capable of making their own God. Now, this was the controversy 
which God had with the nation of Israel in the days of the prophet Isaiah. And I want you to turn with me to Isaiah 46 and to verse 9. Isaiah chapter 46 and the verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Now, to get the context of that, we would need to read the whole chapter and to realize that this was a time of idolatry when people were imagining their own ideas of what God was like. And, of course, um, if you go back, for example, uh, down to verse 5 and 6, to whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me, we may be like. They lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver in the balance and hire a goldsmith, and he maketh it a god. And so men are capable of making their own gods. But the most common error when it comes to men imagining what God is like is that they think he is like a man. Martin Luther famously said that your thoughts of God are too human. And we make the starting point ourselves. And we think that God ought to be like unto us. Well, if you move on over in the book of Isaiah, chapter 55 and verse 9, you will read here, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so, without the Bible, we can never know God. Without God revealing himself in the scriptures of truth, all our thinking and all our imagining, we will get it wrong, and we will end up with the wrong idea of God. On over to chapter 57 and verse 15, you will see how just different and high and holy he is. Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And so God is very different than man's imagination of him. And those who make decisions in life without the Bible, those decisions may seem to be right. They may be the best of human choices, but they miss the mark when it comes to comprehending God and finding fellowship with Him. In John 17, verse 3, we have a very key text. This is eternal life, to know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. And the, you, you cannot be saved, you cannot be a Christian, you cannot be in the right way if you imagine God without the Bible. 
And so that has to be our starting point. Also, those who live without the Bible, they assume that they are always right. Without the Bible as our guide, men turn to humanism. Now, humanism is man-centered thinking, and it's their only measure of right and wrong. So what is a humanist, and how does he think? Well, the human, humanist manifesto makes it a fundamental of humanism that man neither needs nor may have salvation from any superhuman power, and specifically not from God. It is really a case of man doing what is right in his own eyes. But the problem is there is a thousand or a million ideas among humanists of what's right and wrong. And usually it boils down to, well, if you do yourself no harm and you do your fellow man no harm, you're right. And it's premised on that humanist thinking. But not so for Christians who follow the Bible. We have a, a true code of right and wrong. We know the God who is the creator of the world. We know that he is holy and righteous. We know that he expects us to obey and follow him. Also, without the Bible, men assume that truth is flexible or changeable. Men follow popular opinion, and what was in vogue a generation ago is out, and some new fad comes in, and the populations of this world follow after it. And in reality, these things become cyclical. The errors of today were committed maybe a thousand years ago, maybe in the days of Christ. They were saying exactly the same thing. There is nothing new under the sun. But for the Bible Christian, we say, buy the truth and sell it not. By the way, that's a proverb, chapter 23 and verse 23, because truth is fixed. Truth is immovable. What is right today will be right tomorrow, and it will be right in all of eternity. And so the Bible believer doesn't assume anything. We come to the Bible, and we search what God has said to know what is right and wrong. And we make the Bible our guide. And the Apostle Paul said, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom. Are you doing that? You see, the warning of this text, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man. And you may have asked the opinion of ten people, but it's humanism. You are following human wisdom. That is deceptive. And you may build your confidence that your way is right and safe, but it's only when you come to the Bible that you will find the truth, which is fixed and final, and is a guide 
through all of life. And so from this warning text, we take the warning note that the way without the Bible is the way of death. Now, are you submitting your life to the Word of God, to this light of truth that will stand you today, tomorrow, and eternity? That's the call of this text. Then the second way, without a Savior, leads to death. Any way that men are following and they have no Savior is the pathway to death. Now, let's face it, Jesus' way is not very popular. The Bible tells us that few there be that find it. Few enter therein. The way of life is narrow. It is like passing through a needle. It is restricted, and it's the narrow way. But the way to a lost eternity is broad, and many there be that go in thereat. And of course, the reality is that it costs to follow the Lord Jesus. It is the way of shame. It is the way of reproach. And we are asked to carry a cross to be a Christian. We will become misunderstood and rejected by this world, just as our Lord Jesus is. Now, the man in the street reasons like this, and he says, can the multitudes be wrong? Can millions be wrong? If Christianity was based on democracy, which looks for the popular majority, we would be right to follow the masses, because can the multitudes, the masses, be wrong? But that assumes that man is good and has no need of a Savior. And if there's anything that this Bible teaches us that we can all agree on tonight, that this Bible warns us that every son or daughter of Adam and Eve needs a Savior. And the Bible is all about the Savior whom God has sent into this world. But the way without a Savior, it assumes that we can have salvation by works, salvation by our own goodness, our own righteousness. Let me remind you today that the Bible is abundantly clear that it is not by works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. Salvation is by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Do not count on human works. God abominates the religion of works, and therefore he sent his Son to save us, that we may trust in him and by believing in the Lord Jesus that we might be saved for eternity. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. Call me, please, at 604-897-2040. For all the details of our broadcasts across Canada, go to ltbs.ca. This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale. 
located at 18790 58th Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. Our website is cloverdealfpc.ca and there you can find gospel articles, links to our sermons, a gospel booklet called A New Beginning and a link to watch our services online. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of His precious Word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer every Wednesday evening at 7.30 p.m. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day at 9.30 a.m. from September to June. You can contact us at 604-567-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please visit our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will bring you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. This is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today. And be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our one-hour church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of His Word. Music